Welcome to the Middle of Culture. I am one of your co-hosts, Eden. And I'm your other co-host, Peter. And I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, my name is Eden, so deal with it, listeners. It's fine. Perfect. We love um, it. It's great. It's awesome. It's great. I just took my I took my birth name, and I t- as my boss said when I told her, I just took my bra off. That's all. <laughs> now I'm Eden. <laughs> that is that is kind of amazing. <laughs> So that's that. <laughs> the that's the joke I've been going with since then. So uh, here we are. Uh, I think that's perfect. <laughs> it works for me. Uh, anyway, what have you been up to, Peter? You know, um, same stuff as all the time, like going to work. And I will say this. It has been an interesting week. Monday afternoon, I just went kind of storming into my uh clinic, my practice manager's office. And I turned to her and I said, um, is it a full moon? It feels like a full moon. We always knew in residency that like, you knew if you were on call when it was a full moon, just like, forget it. You were going to have to deal with the craziest, weirdest stuff you could possibly imagine. And that was what Monday felt like. Turns out that the full moon was last Tuesday. So I was a week off, but I don't know. Tuesday, same thing. I'm like, holy crap. It is like freaking full moon all over again. Just weird cases, weird patients with weird complaints and, and referrals where I walked into one person and I just said to him, I said, I literally have no idea what the urologist who was taking care of you up in Spokane was thinking. I cannot make sense of it, but if you want to keep doing it, Great. I'll fill those meds and I'll see you in a year. Cause I just wasn't even going to try and argue with this person. So Fair. it's been one of those weeks where I'm just like, I don't know what's in the water, but whatever it is, it's bad. I don't like <laughs> it. And I'd want it to go away. That's, but how uh, have you been doing Eden? It's fair. Uh, I've been doing pretty great. Um, things have been busy. Um, work has been extremely busy for being summer. I have a lot of projects I'm working on. Um, which is fun, but, uh, it means that it keeps me busy and I have less time to slack off and read and listen to things and watch things while I'm on the clock. So where's the fun in that? One of these days it would be great to maybe briefly, but talk about what are some of the things that you do at work? Because uh, I will admit to a certain degree of ignorance, um, when it comes to, to what you do work in there at the university and stuff, but you know, well, I can, uh, but you know. Well, I can give you, I I can give you a quick tour. I don't, I think that we'll have a lot to talk about, but I don't think it's going to be very long when we talk about our big thing today. Um, Yes. But so I work for the university. I'm an instructional services specialist. So during the school year, that means that I work with a lot of faculty to um, develop and deploy um, technology and and systems and learning management systems and things in their classes so that they can use them more effectively and modify especially we were very busy during the early days of covid when everything was moved online and suddenly we had to help these people who had never even wrapped their heads around the school's lms uh, the learning management system like you know you have kids who are in school and you can go and log in and see what their grades are and see all that kind of stuff right Yep. That's because that's because the school uses a learning management software. Uh huh. 
And so obviously colleges do the same. And so a lot of our job is helping faculty effectively use the learning management software that we have on campus. Um, Cause a lot of them are not very good at it. Number one. And number two, every <laughs> single one of them sucks. Every learning management software is a piece of garbage. It's just a question of how garbage is it? Because like, you know, if I had to guess, I would make a guess that educational learning management systems are very analogous to electronic medical records in that regard, that everyone Probably. is an absolute piece of shit and your job is to find the one that stinks the least. That is exactly how it works. And then you find one that stinks the least and then they just go and they screw it all up. Yep. They make it stink more. Yeah, because we moved uh, at University of Iowa. We used to use D2L, Desire to Learn, and we used that when I started until about 2015, 2016, which is when we swapped over to Canvas, which was a big up-and-comer in the mid-2000s or the mid-2010s. Um, but it was like lean and mean. Um, and so it didn't do a lot, but what it did, it did pretty good in comparison mm -hmm. to Blackboard or Moodle or D2L. But the problem is, is they've had a bunch of adoption and therefore a whole lot of feature creep oh yeah so there's just a whole lot of like pointless shit that no one will ever use and nobody uses like there's a whole system built into the learning management software that i was the only person on campus that was using on the entire university of iowa campus. <laughs> and i and so when i when i found out it was there and i wanted to learn how to use it i reached out to it and i was like how do i use this and they were like we have no freaking idea like no one's ever clicked this before. So go to and I guess tell us how it works. So that's how that goes. Uh, so that's what I do during the school years. I do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I also um, am jointly appointed in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. So I do a lot of work with the gen ed program for that as well. Like I'm the person who creates all of the syllabi, creates the calendars, uh, creates the sites in the LMS. I do the oral proficiency interviews for students to help them with placement, all that sort of stuff. Nice. Yeah. And then during the summer, obviously there's like three classes going, not hundreds. So right. uh, I have projects I'm working on. I'm teach I have to learn how to do Python for a project that I'm working on. And I'm making a bunch of grammar videos for the uh, open educational resource textbook that I am in the process of writing with some of my colleagues at some of the institutions here at Iowa. So that that's what I'm doing, cool. writing a textbook so that we don't, charge our students hundreds of dollars for a crappy textbook we're going to make it totally free which is exciting things like that that's awesome excellent yeah well thank you for sharing because again you know i i knew that you worked for the university but again i'll uh, admit to ignorance that i didn't know exactly what you did yeah well i i keep i keep busy most of the time sometimes i get to read <laughs> at, at work which is nice and i miss that but here we are excellent well, so I know this is this is your week, and you uh, you selected something for us that I'm going to let you introduce. But before sure. we get to that, I want to mention something that I shared with you. So earlier today, I texted you a YouTube video, and it was from a band called Imperial Circus Dead Decadence. So a bit of a mouthful. Now. Um, did you uh, did you happen to go and look at the look up this album and see the cover art for this album at all? Just I did not. I just watched I watched the video that you sent me and that was it. If you happen to go look it up, um, don't 
look too closely at the feet, the the toes of the character. There's an anime girl on the front. Uh, this is okay. a Japanese band. Uh, I, I just have to mention that because the cover is is interesting and, and in some ways kind of hilarious and in some ways kind of cool. And then I saw the toes and that's all I can see. You can't unsee the toes. Anyway, I read okay, a review. Well, I, gotta, for I have this. to track it down now. Well, you, you got some time while I blabber on here for a minute. I shared this with you and I just basically said, I'm like, I need you to digest this so we can briefly talk about it. So uh, in all it's a, again, it's a, it's a Japanese band. They are metal, everything. I mean, you want some black metal, you've got it. You want some death metal, it's there. You want power metal, there's elements of it. Some progressive metal, you betcha. Thrashy riffs, you'll find those in there. Do you want some like grindcore pig squeals? They're in there too. It was a fascinating song. Not one that like I actually tried to listen to more of the album and it was too much for me to make it through more than a couple songs at a time. But I found it fascinating. What did you think about this song that I shared with you? Which I can't name the title of it because the title is a character. And interestingly, this band has even made up their own language. So who knows if, I certainly don't know if uh, this is a Japanese character, or if this is one of the characters from the language that they invented for their music. Like uh, CRO style. Yes. It, very interesting. But um, what were oh, your thoughts when I, you listened to this? I, I know what that character is looking at it. That character is Goku. Okay. Is this Again. song about... Is this song about Goku from freaking Dragon Ball Z? I have literally no idea. Truly. I could not. I know that. I, I've seen enough Dragon Ball Z in my day to know <laughs> what that character is. That character is the word Goku. Well, if you've seen any Dragon Ball Z, you have seen more than I. So I have not seen that much, but I, you know, it's, it's such a cultural touchstone of my generation that I know enough that... Yeah, I think I'm too old for the Dragon Ball Z generation. Yeah, you're you're just the the late '90s anime insurgents was you were a little too old for. Yep. At that point, I was either getting home from Guatemala or was home from Guatemala and getting married and going to school full time and working three jobs, one full time job and two part time jobs. So. Not not a whole lot of anime ingestion for me at that stage of Fair. my life, but um, but like I say, what what were your thoughts on on this song that I I asked you it, to listen to? It was a lot, just like you said. <laughs> the the best way I could describe it is that it just was a lot. Um, yeah, it was it 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 was it was like listening to Devin Townsend, but in Japanese. Yes. And, and even maybe a little extra Devin yeah. Townsend, like Devin like Townsend on crack. Devin Townsend. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, well, I'm going to say this and, and this is revealing something about me while I have been interested in anime. And when I was a kid loved Robotech um, we used to play with a friend, uh, we would play, you know, battle of the planets, which was the, again, the American version of another, uh, anime. I was really into that stuff, but I don't really remember why other than I thought, 
like anything that had like spaceships and maybe robots that changed shape, I was down for because that was just the kind of kid I was. But as I've gotten older, I have very, very much struggled. And I think I talked about this a little bit when we talked about Ghost in the Shell. Yep. I really have a bit of a hard time with a lot of Japanese entertainment. Um, I don't play Japanese RPG games. I have tried to play a few of them, but I can't really get into them. I've tried to watch some anime. I can't really, I, I really struggle to get into it. And listening to this song, I think I understood one of, and probably my principal holdup on some entertainment from Japan. And that is that it is, in many cases, very extra. Just like this song <laughs> had a little of everything and maybe a little too much of some of those everythings. Fair. I see a lot of that in the things. You know, I remember trying to play Final Fantasy VIII with a friend uh, very early on um, after we... Uh, we'd been roommates and then we got married and I was hanging out at his apartment. We were playing final fantasy eight and I, I just couldn't keep playing it because you know, there's silly and then there's extra silly. And I felt sure. like there was a little too much silly for me in final fantasy eight. Sure. And I've seen it in a number of other things. And so over the last number of years, that sort of extra nature of things has been a little off-putting to me when I have tried to uh, expose myself to entertainment from Japan. Uh -huh. Now, I want to just leave that there, and I'm going to turn it back over to you to introduce what we're going to talk about today, and I will connect the two. I think I see the through line you're going for, um, but we'll see. So what we talked or what we read for today is a comic. So I reached out to Peter. We finished watching X2. He said, what do you want to do next? And I was like, well, I want to read a comic, but what I really want to read is ElfQuest, but it's like 720 pages. And <laughs> you were like, that's a lot. Maybe someday. For two not weeks. This time. Yeah, yeah. Not, 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 right not now. quite in two weeks. And, and to be fair, that's totally understandable. It is a lot. It is. It's however great. It's my, it's. It's my favorite American comic of all time. ElfQuest. Love it. So then I thought about it and I was like, I'll give Peter a list of options. So I gave you five things to choose from. Mm -hmm. I said Black Hole uh, by Charles Burns, which is, you know, this really slow burn comic that's basically an allegory for the AIDS pandemic in the 80s and 90s where these kids get an STD that makes them essentially mutate. And it's a really cool comic. It's really subversive. It's it's a classic. Uh, I said Hellboy Seed of Destruction, the first big Hellboy story. Also, one of those ones where you, you read it and you're like, yo, from the beginning, Mignola knew exactly what he was going to do with Hellboy, and he nailed it. Um, and... All-Star Superman was the third one I mentioned because I figured I'd throw a, a superhero one in there. Again, I'm not a big Superman fan, but that is one of the great superhero stories, one of the great Superman books ever. Um, and then I mentioned two Japanese comics because I wanted to, you know, we'd read a French comic um, near the beginning of the podcast. And uh -huh. so I mentioned Helter Skelter by uh, uh, Kyoko Akazaki, which is the one that I suggest to people if they're like, I want to try reading a Japanese comic. 
And if they're an adult, then I say read Helter Skelter because it's a really great body horror comic that's not too visceral. It's not like it's not like looking like at a Junji Ito book because I love Junji Ito, but I wouldn't suggest him to anyone who's not like a big horror aficionado. But Helter Skelter, I feel comfortable introducing to people. But then the last one I mentioned is the one that we decided on today. I mentioned the first volume of Kaoru Mori's A Bride Story. And I think I said, gun to my head, this is my favorite comic of all time. You did. And so yep. you said. And that was what intrigued me. Yeah. And so you said, well, if this is your favorite, let's do it. Um, and so that's what we decided to read was the first volume, the first uh, uh, collected volume, the first five chapters, essentially, of A Bride's Story, um, which, like I mentioned, is by Kaoru Mori. She is a mangaka from Japan who has done a lot of period pieces. Almost all of her work is uh, period piece stuff. Um, she did one on, it, it was uh, called Shirley, which I've never read. I don't know anything about it. Um, but the second book that she did that was her, it, Shirley I think is one volume is all. Um, but Emma was a story set in Victorian England um, about a maid who falls in love with like like an upper class bourgeois man, um, which you know I haven't had a chance to read yet because it's out of print, unfortunately. But I'd really mm. like to. But yeah. you know it was interesting that she she did this thing in Victorian Britain, and then for her second big uh, series she did a bride story, which is about people in Central Asia. This one specifically takes place kind of in, in at the border of the Caspian Sea, so, you know, Turkey. And mm -hmm. as the story moves on, you see various and sundry other cultures in Central Asia. Um, but this one specifically takes place, you know, in, in this village on the Caspian Sea um, and stars um, uh, Amir, who is the bride, the titular bride of the bride story, and Karluk, who is her husband. Um so before we talk about the events of the book, uh, oh, and and to put a little more uh, emphasis on what it is, Amir is an old bride. She's 20. She's older than most women get married in this culture. And Karluk, he's a boy. He's 12. So he's mm -hmm. younger than most people get, most men especially get married in this culture. And so... And they're from different cultures, different like subcultures within their culture. She comes from like a more nomadic people who live out more in the wilderness, whereas he comes from a culture that's a little more settled, a little more, uh, you know, agrarian rather than than foraging. Um, and so there's a lot of like cultural exchange that kind of happens between them and that sort of stuff. Um, but basically, that's what this first volume is. It's telling the early days of Amir and Karluk's marriage their family, especially Karluk's family that Amir joins by marrying him and sets up some long-term situations um, that we see in later volumes, but is pretty well contained in and of itself. Uh, yeah, I would agree. So what did you think about this book that I presented to you, Peter? I thought that this was absolutely and utterly delightful and charming. I loved it. Go I on. read it in a single sitting because once I started, I was like, I'm not stopping until I am done with this because it was absolutely captivating. 
And to tie it back to the song that I mentioned earlier, this was so beautifully and artfully restrained. Yeah. It is a lovely little story. The drama in this book comes from the normal human interactions that felt so real and so understandable. There was no sitcom-y bullcrap misunderstanding. And that's where the tension comes from the characters. I loved every single one of them. They were just again, delightful is the best word I can use for this. And the reason I believe that I found it so completely charming and engrossing amongst many other reasons, because this is, in my opinion, an absolute work of art and a triumph of comic books. I will say that. And now the caveat being, I have much less exposure to that than certainly you and a lot of other people. But in my experience, this was absolutely fantastic. And it was that, that restraint, that, just so real sense about these characters. You're reading this story and it was utterly believable that everything in here would have happened in the way it happened. There was never anything where I felt like, well, that's just here to, you know, to, 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 to get us more engaged, but it feels like a bit of a cheap switcheroo because that wouldn't have really happened or anything like that. I mean, it just, I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but Holy cow, like, So just, like I say, charming and delightful and captivating uh, are really the best words that I can use for it. And, And so much of that for me was in that real feeling and the restraint of we're looking at, I mean, because of that restraint, they just felt like real characters who very very possibly could have existed and that this is what would have really happened to them. And it wasn't over the top. It wasn't too much. It was just wonderful. So I'll stop talking for a few minutes. Okay. So here, here's the thing. I think that there is a reason why you felt that way about it. And I think there's a reason why this book came along this way, especially in comparison to your other exposure to Japanese media here in the States. The situation, I won't call it a problem, even though I often see it as a problem, but it is a situation. The situation is that the vast majority of what gets ported over here is either for kids, Pokemon, Dragon Ball, Yu-Gi-Oh, or for teen boys. And that is the specific audience that they are catering to. This is shonen manga, shonen anime. Shonen means teen boy. And so the vast majority, nearly any uh, anime, manga, JRPG that you can name, the t- the primary demographic they're going for is teen boys. I can therefore, 100% see that. Therefore, you get all of the sorts of things that they think will entice a teen boy. You get fan service. This is why fan service is such a thing in anime and manga and manga. That's why you get, you know, beach episodes where everyone gets to wear skimpy outfits or there'll be like unnecessary and pointless nudity or there'll be like panty shots or there'll be, you know, like all of those sorts of things that I think have become hallmarks of anime and manga here in the States are that because they're coming from shonen. 
that is that obviously not that's not who Modi's audience is here. Modi's <laughs> and audience that's not who I am anymore, which is probably why I that stuff just doesn't really do much for me cuz I'm an exactly. old man. <laughs> exactly. And 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 for me as well. Like I the vast majority of the manga that I read, of the Japanese comics that I read is for a female audience. Whether it is shoujo, which means for teen girls like your Sailor Moon or uh you know uh, a lot of other ones in that genre, magical girl books like that. Those are all basically, you know, Magic Knight, Ray Earth, which is one of my all-time favorite comics. That's a shoujo comic. But this book specifically, you can tell this is written for an adult audience. This is not yeah. written for teens. And, you know, because, like, there is nudity in this book. But it is not for titillation. It's not for titillation. It is for... No. The, it is... It is totally understandable in the situation they're in she's in a yurt she has been in a yurt before her husband has never been in a yurt before and she's like it's cold you sleep naked in a yurt or you or you freeze yeah and he's like what and she's like get naked bro like we're in a yurt this is how you sleep in a yurt and so again it's just not titillating and and that stays mostly never meant to be anything like that i mean it was so obvious and again refreshing that it was it was there because it was real for the story that was being told. Yes. And even in, I will say in later volumes and specifically volume seven, there is a lot of nudity because one of the characters goes to the bathhouses. So all of the women are topless in the bathhouses. But again, it is not for titillation. And when it is done, to be like, look how beautiful this woman is. It's not like, check out those bazongas. Like, yeah. it is it is a more holistic and like, and like realistic portrayal of a human as a human. Um, and I really appreciate that about this work. That like you said, these feel like genuine people. These are characters who you come to care about and who uh, really resonate um, as believable um well-rounded and even though there's not a whole lot of dialogue i don't know if you noticed how quiet this comic is compared to other comics oh very much so there are whole pages and and i appreciated that because the nice thing about that is when there's so much text i find myself just cruising reading Mm -hmm. word after word after word after word and because there was again what seemed to be a very deliberate restraint in how much text is being put on the pages, I was able to truly appreciate and take some time looking at the breathtaking art in this book. Because the art is just so far above and beyond what you generally see, at least what I generally see. It was, it's gorgeous. Oh, it's astonishing. It is astonishing how detailed and and intricate. I mean, the very first panel is Amir on their wedding day pulling off this veil that is this immensely intricately designed piece of clothing wearing these enormous earrings with dangly bits and this huge necklace and everything is textured everything feels like it has depth and 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 like as is embodied on the page and that sets a stage that never stops there's never a point where you're like 
oh, well, that was the splash page to get people interested, and then her art got sloppier as the book went on. Nope. It maintains that level of, uh, 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 of intricacy and attention to detail throughout so far 13 volumes and and if anything it only gets more if anything that attention to detail and and that intricate nature of her artwork improves as she goes on as she captures who these characters are more as she expands the cast considerably because eventually this becomes many brides stories um that we see as specifically what happens is if you noticed he's not very much in this book mr smith the 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 white guy who's there like as an uh-huh. anthropologist you will follow his journeys um as he has to venture forth to try to get in contact with a fellow who knows his family and and uh get a message to his family and so he goes from like culture to culture town to town and you are basically taken on a tour of the 19th century central asian world and introduced to all of these different cultures and all these different ways that these cultures interact with each other and within themselves and that lens is often you know young brides as your protagonists in each of these in these cultures and it's just it's just masterfully done it's just a heck of a comic yeah i loved it I mean, I, I had heard about it for years, but I had never picked it up. It was one of those ones that it's, it's one of those ones that you hear people talk a lot about being really intricate and really gorgeous, but I only know one person who's ever said it's their all time favorite, but I trusted that person. And I was like, well, if this person says it's their all time favorite, I bet it's pretty good. And I, it has become mine as well. It is just, I don't know how to say it. The <laughs> the tension that is built on the page, um, there's so much told through body language and action and panel structure and the wordless way that you intuit what people are thinking. Like one of the things that stuck out to me most in this reread is the ways that it will hang on panels where Amir and Karluk are looking at each other and especially when their uh-huh. eyes meet. And there's so much information like transmitted between them and you as the reader uh, in the way that they look at each other and the way that you see their like fondness for each other, even though this was an arranged marriage and she's too old and he's too young. You see the way in which their affection for each other grows over the course Uh of the book. And to finally end, uh, you know, I don't even think this is a spoiler because this is just a book about people living lives. The book ends with uh, Karluk getting a cold and getting pretty sick, getting a pretty nasty fever and yep. a cough. And Amir is just like heart- heartbroken and, and crestfallen and, and absolutely obsessed. With fear. Yeah. Terrified that her husband is going to die and, you know, makes herself almost sick trying to take care of him because of how that love between the two of them grows even though it is you know it is a very young love and is a very chaste love because it's not like they're consummating the relationship because he's 12 and so like but but there is that like love that builds between them over the course and again that continues over the course of the book uh and it's just i don't know it's just a lot yeah very much like i say i i didn't have really any um 
I didn't have any expectations going in because I didn't know what to expect. I had never heard of it before the text you sent me. And while obviously you spoke highly of it, I didn't know how well that would translate to how I would feel about it because, well, you know, I also spoke, I spoke very highly of, of ghost in the shell. And I'm like, this is one of my top five favorite movies. And you're like, it was fine. Yeah. Well, uh, honestly, one of the, um, one of the motivations for me, at least behind this podcast is that while many, many years ago, as often happens, we shared very similar uh, likes and dislikes as we have both become adults. Uh, those have diverged in many ways. And I wanted to talk about those things that maybe we feel really strongly about that the other person isn't familiar with. And so, you know, I didn't go into this going, Oh, well, if Eden says this is their very favorite you know, gun to their head, their very favorite comic of all time. I'm clearly going to love it. I went in going, I have absolutely no idea what this is even going to be like. So let's start at square one and let's go from there. And, and like I said, I could not stop reading. I had to read the entire thing in a single sitting and then had to physically remove myself from an electronic device that would have allowed me to go because I don't do physical for very much stuff anymore and just proceed to buy the remaining 12 volumes because I was like, I want them all and I want them all now, but that's kind of expensive to buy all of them just immediately. <laughs> so I'm going to make myself stop. So well, <laughs> that was kind of to where be fair, I ended it. So to, to be fair, the same sort of thing happened to me because I only read this book for the first time in December. I oh, bought wow. the first volume I bought the first volume in December um, and I read it in one sitting and I said, okay. And then I bought volumes two and three to be shipped to me in two days. And I read both of them in one sitting. And then I said, okay. And I bought four through six and then I read them in like one day. And then I bought seven through 12 in one sitting <laughs> and I spaced them out once six books showed up all at once. But like <laughs> Good the fact you. of the matter is you. it, it, it is written in such a way that it is an absolute page turner while not being like you said, because of the detail, because of the quiet in the paneling, because of those moments of silence, it's not like you are speed reading this thing. It's not like you're like, and turning pages, pages as fast as you can. You are, are immersing yourself into this image, into this, this drama that is happening between these people. And, and you feel that that pull i feel like as a reader to to find out you know what is what is going to happen here without it feeling like a cheap like it, it's not like a cheap plot hook way that keeps you reading that keeps no. you turning the pages because it there's not a whole never, lot of plot here yeah and, and it was never salacious or sensationalistic in any way nope, nope. but it at just the same tells time, a story incredibly compelling yeah, it just tells a very warm, very human story in a way that draws you in and makes you want more and more of it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, again, I, I just I feel like I'm kind of gushing, and and that's okay because I, I think this deserves to be gushed over. Uh, really. Agreed. Um, 
there were a few things and, you know, I, again, I don't know, and I'll leave this up to you if you, if you want to go through the plot or again, I, I, I think we like could if you wanted to, or if you just wanted to touch on specific things that you, uh, that really called your attention. You know, there's a part of me that, that almost doesn't want to go beat by beat through the plot for two reasons. Number one, because I think if anybody's listening to this, they owe it to themselves to go and read it on their own. And it's not like there's big twists or anything that we're going to spoil, but it's a story that one should experience for themselves. And so I almost want to let anybody who might listen to this and go, that sounds interesting. These two people really enjoyed it. I want to experience it. I want them to experience it almost how I did going in with, I don't know what I'm going to get here. I don't know. I mean, is this, you know, I, I mean, I didn't know, like, what was the time period? Is this supernatural? Is this whatever? I just didn't know. And I kind of want people to go in almost as, as un, uh, well, how am I trying to put it? I don't know with as as kind of an open mind as they possibly can have. The other reason that I don't know that we need to go through it is because while the story was interesting and the story, I felt compelled to read it, it was much less because of the story itself and it was because I felt so invested in the people who were experiencing the story. You know, the stories, the stories, I mean, it's just like you said, it's this 12 year old and this 20 year old who are in this arranged marriage and they're pretty much living with his. And, and again, I apologize. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I know that you've Carl said Luke. it a few times. Thank you. Um, but they're with his family and in kind of the town that, you know, he's from and it's just these little beats. I mean, I was going back and rereading it and they're, getting ready to have dinner. And Amir's just like, well, you, you know, I make this soup out of rabbits. And they're like, what rabbits? And she's just like, yeah, I'll go get some rabbits. And it was just such an engaging little scenario where she goes out and she's hunting for rabbits and she had to go a little farther than she thought. And so now you've got her husband who he's worried because she's been gone. And you know, one of the old guys in the family's like, Oh, didn't they see wolves there? And so what does he do? He goes out chasing after her, even though he's only 12 because he cares about her and he wants to make sure she's okay. Nothing about the going and getting rabbits, which she, you know, by the time he finds her, she's already got a handful of them that she's killed from, uh, she's taken down with a bow from horseback and everybody's like, what? She's awesome. But it was just, like you said, the the way that art shows these two kind of looking at each other and the expressions on Carlick's face when he sees her and he sees that she's safe and the joy she expresses that is expressed on her face when she realizes that he was worried about her and he came to find her. I, it's just like, I don't know. It, it was amazing. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a stellar piece of of art. You know, this is yeah. uh, this is one of those things that like comics are art, and I'm the first person to say comics are art, but they're also consumed more like literature than they are consumed like art. 
um, sure. because they are art that specifically and explicitly well 99% of the time there are there are art comics that definitely don't have a story but that's not what we're talking about here this is and, and comics is its own thing in that it is not literature uh, I don't know if you heard about that whole, whole kerfuffle a week or two ago where like are, how familiar are, are you with webtoons do you know what webtoons is um, a little bit. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm like, yeah, I kind of know about that, but I'm not super familiar. Yeah. So it is, it's basically a portal that web comics are hosted on, you know, in right. the early days of web comics, it was the wild, wild west. Everybody had their own website that they, you know, set up in WordPress or whatever the heck. And it's since been really, uh, kind of funneled into a couple of really big publishers. And then some people who still do publish their web comics on their personal websites, but webtoons and top us are the two big, yep. like, like web comic distribution services and sure. webtoons specifically has more readers than God, like millions upon hundreds of millions of people go to webtoons literally every single day. Um, uh -huh. and so it's huge. Like DC has some webtoons, original Batman comics that they publish on webtoons. So like this has clearly broken through, but they had an ad that was like in the New York city subways or something that was like comics or literature's side hustle. And it was really interesting to see the way that people in comics reacted to that. Because a lot of them, and the ones who I specifically do not agree with, were like, it's, comics aren't literature's side hustle. Comics are literature. And so they were on their you know high horse about how comics are literature sure. and that they should be respected on the same level as literature. And while that latter thing is true, the former is not true. Literature is literature. A yeah. Prose is a prose. And that's not the same as a comic. A comic is the, is the fusion of art and writing into a different medium and so that's what comics can do that you can't get out of a book that you can only yeah. get in a visual medium those long looks between Carlook and amir um that that panel where you know uh, amir or Carlook's sister has given amir this really beautiful cloth um at the start when they get first get married and uh -huh. amir uses it to make car look some like traditional style clothes of where she's from and it's beautiful and she puts it on him and then they're like oh his sister's like oh you use the uh use the cloth to make car look clothes i thought you were going to use it to make yourself clothes and the embarrassment that she has when she realizes that she, or she thinks that she has made this huge error and has mortally offended her her sister-in-law and like that panel is so emotive and you can't get that in literature like right. it's not you the same not when you describe read... that yeah, in a way you... that would create that same visceral feeling of empathy that you have for amir when you look at those at the at the artwork you just like there is no exactly. way words would convey that in the same way that you just all of a sudden, like I remember getting that almost cold feeling in the pit of my stomach where I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And that's the best part. Nothing happens because yeah, this is just people. It's just exactly. people living their lives. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It doesn't have to be a conflict that goes on for a hundred pages. 
No, it's just funny. She comes out and she takes off all her clothes and she's like, I'm a mess. I'm so sorry. And they're like, calm down. <laughs> chill. Just chill. It's fine. Yeah. And like, that is what, and I think this is one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite comics. It, it is a perfect example of what comics can do that no other medium can. Because in cinema, you can show the person blushing, but you can't sit with that feeling the way that you talked about, with that feeling right. in the pit of your stomach, looking at it, being scared to turn the page because you don't because know has to move what's on. going to happen they've next. Gotta, yeah, they've got to move to the next scene. Whereas here, you're in control of when you move to the next scene. The, the director chooses the pacing. Exactly. And that is the difference between in visual medium between comics and cinema cinema tv film whatever the director chooses the pace i don't choose the pace i'm just along for the ride but yeah. as and this is one of the things that's so powerful about reading comics you as the reader get to set the pace you get to set how long do i sit with scenes how long do i sit with a frame how long do i sit and look at this beautiful you know two-page spread of them herding sheep how long do yeah. I look at how how the little differences between each of the sheep that Modi draws into this huge panel? Like, I choose how long I look at that. And I choose how much or how little I want to invest in that. And that is the thing that comics can do that no other medium can. And it's one of the reasons why I chose to study comics is because of that that ability that comics has that nothing else does. And I just think, it, I just get jazzed up about it. I just think it's so cool that in a way that no other medium does, the only other medium that involves you as the spectator as fully and probably more so is video games. Which is one of the reasons why I think I like video games so much. Because video As games involve you. Me. Video games involve you taking the place of the protagonist. You are embodying physically the main character of this game. You are Commander Shepard. And the choices that you make as Commander Shepard have ramifications both in that game and in the games to come. Yeah. Just to pick, you know, a, one that I know that you and I both like. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I love that you chose that only because a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be talking about it with my wife and, and my kids. I think maybe my youngest was the only one around. And I mentioned how it's the only series of video games. I mean, I don't play games more than once usually. And I've played through the entire trilogy through four times. And I remember my wife asking me, she's like, why would you play through the game again? And I turned to her and I said, have you ever read a book more than once? Oh, yeah. I said, have you ever watched a movie or a TV show more than once? She's like, yeah. I said, okay, now do that where you are the one in complete control of what happens in the story, when it happens, and how it goes. And all of a sudden she kind of went, oh, okay. She doesn't get it. She's not going to go and play Mass Effect. But I think she understood that idea that you're engaging in something that you find so engrossing and enjoyable and you are more invested in it because you have at least to some degree control over that experience. It is for sure. It is more of an active consumption of the story than it is a passive consumption of the story. Well, and like you said, the nice thing is you can make different choices. 
Who yeah. am I going to make Commander Shepard kiss this time? Will it be Liara? <laughs> Will it be Garrus? Will it be Samantha Trainer? Who's to guess? It'll be Liara because that's the best romance in the whole series. But uh, <laughs> believe me, I played it more than four times. Friends, Liara is the best one. Uh, Samantha Trainer's pretty cute though too in a Mass Effect Three. If you have a nice, chaste, and or willing to break up with her partners, uh, Commander Shepard, the Samantha Trainer romance in Three, pretty good. I can believe um, that that would be a cute little, uh, I don't know, just again, delightful was the word I was of, thinking. Part of it's just that I love that voice yeah, actress. She does great. And which is why every time you play Dragon Age Inquisition, you also play as a female Inquisitor so you can have her be your OC. Your OC. But back to comics. <laughs> back to comics. There are a couple but comics things. can involve you like that. That's what's so great yeah. about it. Anyway, what did you want to say? Well, I was going to say, there's just a couple things, if you'll indulge me, that I want to talk about here. Of course. Uh, Amir's family is wonderful. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, they are. All of them, from old to young. I loved the kids. The kids were so excited about everything, even the things that weren't exciting, but they were excited because she's new. She's a different person. You know, I've had kids. I still have kids. And when they were young, it didn't matter who came over to the house or what they were there for. The kids were going to go and show off because it was somebody new. And I could see that. like they, It was just happening with these children in Amir's family. And it was delightful. And like you said with the, uh, I think it's his older sister who gives that, that fabric, correct? Uh-huh. Yep. You know, it sets up this thing that could be this big, oh no, this is going to be the tension of the next 25 minutes or whatever, 22 minutes of this episode. And no, it's just immediately moved aside. And it's like, no, it's okay. It was, I mean, we gave it to you. You could do whatever you want with it. And, and they're just the way they accept her in and, and treat the two of them. I was a little worried when I started that it was going to be, you know, kind of that wah, wah, awkward. Oh boy, we've got this old bride with us that we've been strapped with and we sure don't, but no, there's none of that. They like her. They accept her. They, it just, you know, his family just, I loved everything about them. Yeah. Um, and again, like you said, the relationship between Karlik and Amir it was only, I don't know, two, three pages in, and I was totally bought into it. Like, I believed it. And I believed that while there was this age difference and while he is quite young, there was an absolute, genuine love and affection between the two of them that never let up and only grew and developed over the course of the story. Yeah. It's just... It's it's a love story that is aching in its honesty. And like it doesn't feel superficial, it doesn't feel uh contrived. It feels genuine and real. Yep. Uh in a way that I feel at least in the media that I consume is not very common. Uh, I don't it's think just, it's very common in media period, which I think was I why think that's this true was such a standout and such a stellar, stellar read. And it keeps doing it. That's the thing that take your time reading them. 
space them out, but read all 13 volumes that are out. It's so good, and it stays oh, I'm going so to. good. And it introduces so many other characters who you come to love just as much as you love Amir and Hall and Carluk. And you'll spend entire volumes where you don't even see them, or if you do, it's only for like a couple of pages because it's off with these new people who you meet who you come to love just as much because they are, you know, portrayed in that same level of authenticity and and realness and uh you know a feeling of 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 being caught intimately and and, and being just i don't know how to describe it i don't know how to describe it but it just it it, it captures me as a reader it just really does it's just yeah. something else i just love this book no it was great i am so happy that you suggested it and that we read it and you know hopefully anyone who's listening to this i would just say give it a shot it may not be for you and and that's okay uh, but it is absolutely 100 percent worth giving it a shot and and experiencing it and seeing what you think about it. it it was just again delightful was the word that i could not stop thinking of as i read it and as i finished it and as I came back to read it again. Yeah, this is this is one of those comics. Like, my wife likes comics, but she doesn't read a lot of comics. She mostly reads prose novels. And that's fine. You know, we read... A, you don't have to have the same tastes as your partner. That would be boring and weird, I think. Sure. But every so often there's a thing where you're like, yo, you gotta check this out. And I remember the day that I read this, I remember texting Cassie and just being like, girl, you got to read this. This is so good. And I don't think she has yet, but this has rekindled my need to uh, convince her to read this this series. <laughs> well, like I say, I don't know if it would uh, influence her decision at all, but I would say that, you know, let her know that I'm not. This is not what I would have expected to love and i absolutely loved it well see this is both a blessing and a curse it's a blessing in that i have imparted to you one of the great works of comics in the 21st century and a curse in that most everything else you read after this you're going to be like that was good but it wasn't Brad's story good <laughs> you know i've actually kind of accepted that um that, that's good that that's gonna be okay that i that will I don't say expect this to to be uh i don't know to this i don't expect this to be something that is oh yeah everything's gonna be like this a good i will say that i know that a lot of the people who like this book say that um uh, the book uh, i can't think of the name of the author i'm going to look it up really quick uh there is a book or a comic series called witch hat atelier um, by uh, Kamomi Shirahama, which has art that when I pick up that book for the first time, I looked at it and I thought, oh, this is Bride Story style art. Like it is that level of really um, carefully uh, imagined and and really detailed and, and really intricate. Um, and I've heard nothing but good things about Witch Hat Atelier, but I haven't read it yet. I have the first two volumes, but I haven't gotten around to it. Um, but reading this again made me think, I think it's time to finally do Witch Hat and uh, see if it's as good as everybody says. Because a lot of the people who even really love Bride Story say that Witch Hat Atelier is even better. So wow. I don't know whether that'll convince me because it 
nothing has thus far but i'll let you know i'll let you know how witch hat is after i read a couple of a couple of volumes of it that sounds good all right well we should wrap it up um in in ending i just do want to give a big a birthday shout out i know it's not on the day that this episode comes out but the day that we're recording it's birthday shout out to octavia butler one of the greatest sci-fi authors of all time uh rest in peace octavia you were a real one have you ever read any octavia butler i have and i'm trying to remember what series it was i read um but it was fascinating it was it's a very different style than what i was used to but no it was it was very good at the whole time i was reading it i'm like okay i get why she's considered uh a, a real pinnacle of of science fiction for sure uh Parable of the Sower is one of the most terrifying books I've ever read because I read it in the lead up to the 2016 elections and there's a politician in Parable of the Sower whose slogan is making America great again. Oh, cool. So as I read Parable of the Sower, I thought, oh, so this is what's going to happen. And in 2022, I feel all the more thinking about Parable of the Sower. Oh, so this is going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, it's, a, oh, it's an terrifying. apocalyptic novel to. that is uh, pretty, pretty brutal. in it's a uh, depiction of how the uh, society falls apart, but also how society is built back. And maybe that's what we should focus on. Anyway, uh, we should wrap it up. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the book so much. Uh, it's yeah. just, just good. It's just really it good. It was. It was great. And uh, we will be back in two weeks. We will be continuing the summer of X with the much maligned Brett Ratner film, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Yep, we sure will. Brett Ratner, famous lover of booties, Brett Ratner. Uh, Oh, boy. I I will have have to have a tally of all of the booty shots. Well, I have to remind myself that I was the one who came up with this idea. So Yeah, it is your uh, fault. As I'm... As I, yes, it is. It is my fault. I am to blame. And so any psychological trauma uh, that occurs from us watching X3, uh, The Last Stand, uh, that's on me. That is on me. Well, that's so. okay. I, I'm, I am ready to stare um, down that train tunnel with you and watch that train approach that is X3, The Last Stand. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, like we said a couple weeks ago, I don't look forward to watching it, but I do look forward to talking about it. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, as we always say, uh, you know, subscribe in your podcatcher of choice, leave a review if you feel so inclined. Um, that would be great. It would make my heart grow three sizes. And uh, if you need to get in touch with us, what is the email address? It is feedback at the middle of that's so good. Do you know what URL I bought the other day that I'm starting to use as my main URL? Horsedivorce.club. Yes. That is Horsedivorce.club. I bought it. It's great. That's my new email address. I finally got it all set up. That is excellent. It's exciting stuff. Anyway, excellent. thanks all for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And uh, until then, take care. Absolutely. Bye.